I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. So today, Katina is going to share an article with us. Do you want to give us a real high-level overview before I learn about your fabulous week so far? Yes. So I am going to be talking about an article that focuses on how people can uh, maintain their personal happiness and vitality when working in gig jobs. So mm. we've talked before about working from home, but these are people who work in like freelancing capacity. They don't have a formal organization that they work for. Uh, so it's a little bit different. And we're going to learn kind of what are the practices that help people to maintain their sanity under conditions where you have so little structure. Cool. Well, I feel like that's very relevant to a lot of people. Yes. Because um, even if people are not full time um, freelancers or gig economy folks, a lot of people have side hustles too. So I'm sure it's relevant to some degree there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to hear about it. Yes, it'll be good. So in the meantime, tell me what's up with you. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing good. Today was a busy day. Um, I've been mm -hmm. conducting a lot of research studies that require me to do interviews. So I've been doing a lot of interviews. So I feel like basically I've just been sitting in my house with these headphones and the microphone on for like hours every day. <laughs> <laughs> so this so is no different to the rest of your day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except for I talk a lot more in this one. <laughs> True. <laughs> on the True. others, I'm just like, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Um, but yeah, so uh, just been hanging out. We didn't do very much this weekend, which was nice. Um, kind of hung around and tried to recoup. And I think I did a good job of that. So that was nice. And yeah, I don't think I have very much that's very exciting. Oh, we lost our internet for three hours. Oh, that's and a that's big just bad. Nothing. That's I know. I know. <laughs> I, th I like really, I always say that whenever I move or like whatever, if I'm in like a new space, if I don't have the internet, I feel like I might as well just like not, it might not even like, it might as well not even exist the space that I'm in. I'm like, I'm not r a real person right now. Like I can't handle being in here. Like if I move and my internet's not set up, I'm like, okay, well I don't even like live here actually. Like I can't, I need to move back out and come back when it's set up. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. It's really hard, especially like, you know, we both kind of work from home or wherever a lot of the time. Um, so when you're at home and there's no internet, then you can't work. Yes. Like it's a, real problem um it's very yeah true. i was thinking about that the other day because we're considering moving and i was like okay well we have to time it properly so that i yeah. can go i can actually work when in the midst of it and not miss time i mean i guess i could always like go crash at my parents or something but like that seems like a hassle too with in the middle of a moving thing to go there to work and then whatever anyways it is a real consideration and having know. internet is very important. I can't. I know. Yeah. I mean, we also stream like everything. Like we don't have regular cable either, which I mean, yeah. obviously is not relevant when you're moving, but like, cause you probably don't have anything set up yet. But if we have internet, then we have everything. We have our TV, we have everything. Yeah. So I know. That's internet the thing. is like very critical. Everything runs on it. Like your phone, mm -hmm. like, I mean, obviously you still have service on your phone, but like your phone, like can't connect to the internet and you're like you know our cable was down our whole cable box was down that's why the internet was down so we had no tv nothing which like i don't watch a lot of tv during the day but it's just like it's the principle of yeah. <laughs> it's the principle yeah. of it 
I believe. Exactly. Exactly. I know. Yes. It's like, yeah, I totally agree. It's, I don't watch TV during the day either, but the idea of the fact that like, well, my internet's out, so I can't work. Yeah. So now what do I do? Like, so I mean, I can sit go there. read a book, I guess, but like, <laughs> yeah, like I but, just, it bothers me that like, if I decide that I want to disconnect, that's one thing, but it bothers me when I don't have control over it. So then I just sit there mm-hmm. being like, when's it going to come back? When's it going to come back? I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> we might be control freaks though. Let's be real. I know. That's true. I do feel it's, that that could be true. Brendan was like, yeah. just take a nap. And I was like, I can't nap. You're like, what? Time. What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> I was like, I can nap. I'd write on regular days when I have the internet, but not now. I need to make sure it <laughs> comes back. You're too distressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? What's been going on in your life? Um, nothing crazy exciting either. We saw The Lion King this weekend. So Ooh. that was fun. Um, I have lots of opinions, but I just... I want to know yeah, them. Well, you didn't <laughs> like it? I mean, I did, but I didn't. It was like, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I had fun at the movies. Um, I was a little bit disappointed with the fact that I think a lot of people talk about this online about the fact that the facial expressions were like non-existent on the animals. And like, it because everyone's like, oh, well, like a lion doesn't look sad. And I was like, yes, it does. Like, why can't this lion look sad? And also like the regular lion, like the cartoon lions were able to look sad. So that's like, right. I know that there's like a pro to it looking so realistic, but it's a con if my lion can't look happy or sad. Right. So it makes it a lot harder. So basically, if you can't really tell the emotional expressions of the animal, that makes it harder. Like imagine, Z- you know, Zazu, like the bird, right? He yeah. is a comedic character and yet a bird with a beak can't really smile or frown or you know what I mean like all the ways that we interpret emotion so then it makes it that much harder for the actor to portray that emotion vocally and I don't know if um it was always done that well because it was a lot of pressure I feel like on the actors to make them seem happy or sad just based on the way that they sound and not the way they like that they look and I also just got frustrated because like I have a cat and she can look sad and she can look pissed and she can look like all the things right like right. a lion can look sad like it's yeah. possible but then like you know it's not a spoiler everyone's seen the Lion King like when Mufasa died like Simba didn't look that sad. Like he sounded sad, but he didn't look sad. And I'm like, come on, this is weird. This is your dad, Simba. What is wrong with you? <laughs> so I felt like there was just a little bit of a miss. Like realistic is cool, but it didn't have, like, it's also still a yeah. movie. Like it doesn't have to be super realistic. Yeah. Like I know that lions can't cry. They also can't do any of this other stuff. So whatever, make the right. lion cry. Like, the lion doesn't talk and sing Akuna Matata sing. either. Right. Like, right. <laughs> so we're, we're suspending some reality here, folks. I think we can make some lion tears happen. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, what did you think of Billy Eichner thing. and Seth Rogen? Because I've heard good things about them as Pumbaa and Timon. Oh my God. I Great. think Billy Eichner is like the perfect Timon. Me too. Like, Me too. I mean, I, we actually, we had this whole debate about Nathan Lane versus Billy Eichner and I think that they're both were good, but I think, I mean, Billy Eichner is more of a modern com- com- yes. comedic person. Yes. What, 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 comedian. What is the word? I was like, why can't I think of this word? <laughs> comedic person. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's part of it is this, his comedy is like more current than yeah. obviously like Nathan Lane, who's that's true. You know, 
who especially that was recorded in the 90s so it's like a very different thing but like i thought he was really funny too but billy eggner was like perfect amazing perfect seth rogan was really good too i'm not gonna like say he was bad either but i think that timon stole the show billy eggner yeah really stole the show that's what i heard Mm -hmm. too i love billy on the street Um, yeah (laughs) i really love billy on the street so i was really happy to hear that yeah his timon is really good so i will i will say that that was that was good okay well at least there's a billy eichner win yes yes and um, again like the even though it wasn't that realistic it was still fun like it was i mean it was too realistic it was still really fun (laughs) um and like the the actual visuals like are cool like it's crazy what they could do right like and make it look so real in a lot of ways yeah like that in and of itself is amazing but um but yeah so anyways i enjoyed it we had fun you need a crying tiger, but other than that, it was fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I even though Simone didn't look as sad as. Wait, I you said like Simone or Simone? Simba? Simba. I did say Simone. I meant Simba. <laughs> I think I was confusing Simba and Timon, and they came one, and they became one. I was like, wait, I just need to be clear. Did you say Simone? <laughs> I meant Simba. I meant Simba. My favorite oh, character, <laughs> Simone. He's the child of Timon and Simba. Um, Raven Simone was in this movie. Oh, man. Yeah, no, that was a big fail. No, no Simba. Even though Simba didn't look that sad, I still cried like a lot in that movie. So, yeah. Yeah, there's all that. right. <laughs> there's that. Well, anyway, thanks to great performance by Simone. <laughs> oh, man, obviously our brains are broken, so we should probably just get into this and spare people our ridiculousness. Yeah, I know. I feel like I just ranted for like five minutes about whether a lion should cry or not. No, so it's good. That's already no. a thing. I think oh. I think our listeners will have a lot of opinions on this, actually. Possibly. Possibly. I hope I don't sway anyone that hasn't seen it yet, though. So go in open minded. Maybe others would disagree. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't let me sway your opinions on something as important as the Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want this to throw some election for Zazu. Um, (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um, well, good. So tell me about your article. What is okay. it called? Tell me all the things. So uh, my article, speaking of films, it has a very dramatic title. Ooh. It is called Agony and Ecstasy in the Gig Economy. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, they're really getting that in there with that. It is very dramatic. Um, cultivating holding environments for precarious and personalized work identities. And I'm going to explain what all those things mean and uh, let you know uh, sort of the main findings of the study. There's a lot going on in this study. It was by John Piero Petrolieri, Susan Ashford, and Amy Rusniewski, and it was published in Administrative Science Quarterly in 2019, so it's a pretty new article. Mm, new one in a big journal. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, um, and it's a qualitative study. I always like those. So interview data, got some quotes in here and stuff like that, so I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, tell us what all of the title means because yeah. there's a ton of jargon in there. Okay. So it's actually more straightforward in some ways than it might sound. So basically the agony and the ecstasy 
of working in the gig economy um, <laughs> is that it can be really difficult for people who are working in gig jobs. And when we're talking about gig jobs, the people that they had in this study, uh, so they had 65 interviews in the study and they were all independent workers living in the U.S., so they had people like artists and writers and graphic designers and consultants and executive coaches and like IT workers. They had film producers, um, wow. things like that. So uh, they were folks that are working independently, um, not within an organizational structure. And so uh, the agony and the ecstasy that's related to this is that in some ways they found that people reported that it was quite painful uh, to work in kind of a lonely work environment where they felt like they didn't have a lot of direction or support from others or kind of alone. Um, and they have a lot of freedom to take things in whatever direction they want, which can sometimes be scary. So uh, there's no one telling you what to do, which sounds like it could be cool in some ways, but in other ways uh, it can be kind of frightening to be sort of in charge of everything. Um, and because of that, people felt like their identities and their work were sort of what they're calling precarious, that, uh, they were more up in the air than other people's work identities. And they had some more socioeconomic concerns because they were constantly, uh, forced to, um, rely only on themselves to make money, which can be scary. And they had some other kinds of more human related concerns like, I'm by myself and I don't feel a part of something and I hope that I'm doing something that's meaningful compared to maybe some of my other friends who I see in other kinds of jobs that uh, I can clearly see like the impact that they're making being a part of something bigger and uh, what am I a part of? So those kind of more like existential questions. Um, so that's kind of like the agony. But then the ecstasy part or the happy part was uh, that they were able to really do work that they could express themselves through, that they could use as self-development, um, and they could really personalize to themselves and their identity in a way that people in traditional jobs could not. So there's sort of this, uh, what they found sort of cycling back and forth of these feelings and emotions that kind of never go away for people in gig work, where they go back and forth between these feelings of sort of being precarious, kind of more feeling more lost or alone or scared and then feeling really energized and lucky to be in a job where they can do what they want and be the person that they want to be to a greater extent than if they're working under a corporate umbrella. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like I'm just thinking of my dad as a good example. So, and I know your dad started his own business too. Like, so my dad, he's a one man shop and I feel like there's always this fear that he's not going to have enough work next month or something like that, that mm -hmm. he takes on probably more projects than he needs. Right. Like, because he gets, he gets anxious about this, the whole financial thing that you're talking about. And yeah. then, but then on the flip side, like, I can't even imagine my dad working for somebody else. Like he's just so independent and like he structures his own day. And like, I think he really enjoys all of that. I think he likes the fact that it's, you know, his thing and he's doing whatever he wants and it's just him. Right. So I do see just like, even in him, just one example, like that, that definite struggle, like sometimes he's so overworked and so stressed out because of that, like nagging feeling that I'm own I'm accountable for my own money and financial well-being, but on the flip side, having that 
the ecstasy part, which I agony and ecstasy, like, come on, guys. That was just weird. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a lot of dramatic words happening there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree. I think uh, one of the things that, to your point, is really freeing about working for yourself is that you, you know, get to make the rules. You get to pick what you do. You can turn down projects that you don't want to do. You don't have to work with certain people. If it's really a pain, you can say, you know, it's not worth it to me to do that work. Um, but then I also notice, um, yeah. And you mentioned my dad also started a company and I know that for him, like not having anything to do for the day, like let's say, you know, work is a little bit slower. Um, in a normal, you know, I think corporate job, if you don't have anything to do for the day, like you're all caught up and you really don't have anything else to make progress on. It's just like, okay, great. Like I have a day where I can get some more personal stuff done or like I can chill a little bit more. But I think from his perspective, if he has a day where he doesn't have stuff to do, he feels very anxious because it's like, oh no, like I need to be finding more stuff to do. If I have a day that there's nothing to do, then that means that I haven't gotten myself enough work, which means that maybe this day will turn into three days, which means it'll, and there's this like anxiety, even if it's just like mm -hmm. in every job, you can mm -hmm. have like a slower time period or a slower day, but it seems to create this like greater anxiety because it's like, there's this greater feeling of responsibility over workflow and, um, you know, just your livelihood in general, I think. Totally. Yep. Same thing that I see with my dad too. Um, and honestly, I think that it translates to us. I feel like we're very cautious in the way that we approach our work and our life because yeah. of seeing how our dads are. I think that's, I don't know, maybe I'm I agree too much into it, but I kind of think that's part of it. Um, but I think it's really, I mean, I think there are so many benefits of working for yourself and freelance work. And like, obviously some types of jobs are just more conducive to, to that type of economy and to being freelance, um, but yeah, it's just being able to manage the, the downsides in a way that you are not hurting your well-being overall, right? You want more of the positive side and less mm -hmm. of the negative side. So if you can kind of tip that balance so that you feel that control and you feel like excited more than you feel anxious, um, I think it ends up being good in the long run, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so what they found is that, so I'll just like gloss over a lot of the paper because I want to hone in on one part. But what mm -hmm. they found is that just like we're saying, uh, when people feel like they're kind of lost and they have these socioeconomic concerns, it sparks them to focus a lot on productivity. Like I have to keep doing these maintenance things to make sure that I have more work. Like, and by maintenance things, I mean like I have to keep following up with clients and going out and getting more business. And I have to make sure that there's this constant flow of work and I have to um, like do things that I can clearly see like, okay, I've completed something today. Like, because nobody's giving you that validation. So it has to be clear. So they have this like productivity focus and they also experience these like emotional tensions uh, because uh, they feel really positively oftentimes about the work that they're doing. But they also have this like teetering back and forth between feeling afraid and anxious about their job. So they feel both these like emotional tensions and these like extreme uh, pressures to perform that can sometimes uh, make the job feel a little bit overwhelming. So in order to make sense of that productivity focus and the emotional tensions that arise, what they found in this paper is that people working in gig jobs in order to be 
uh, successful in feeling like they have confidence in their abilities and that they're able to make it through the challenges of owning their own business or working for themselves um, and that they feel like authentic to themselves and alive in their work and that they can like learn from their experiences is that they need to uh, basically create connections that sort of create what they're calling a personal holding environment, which is basically a fancy way of saying that they need to create connections to places, people, routines, and purpose in a way that helps them to make their work feel more normal. So I can talk about connections to places, people, routines, and purpose separately, but basically by making those connections, they almost like make their work have a pattern and a place uh, so -hmm. that it feels more like a normal kind of a job it has more structure to it they have some of the same connections that they used to have to others um and that helps them to feel like their work identity is less uh precarious and that they can be more energized by the exciting parts of their job and less depleted by the more anxiety provoking parts of the job that's so interesting I'm like really curious to hear you explain kind of each piece and how you build those connections because as you're talking about it, I have like some general thoughts as to what that might look like, but I don't, I don't actually know. So <laughs> yeah. Um, can you talk about each of them? Cause I really, really am curious to figure out like, what can people do? Like, it yeah. Seems like so it's very tactical. they basically found in their work that the people working in these jobs made these different connections that basically helped to serve as like a way to contain and make sense of the work that they were doing on a daily basis and so the first of these is connections to personal routines so most people had a daily or a weekly routine that they felt they had to stick to in order to feel productive so they had to like constrain themselves and focus themselves or else they just felt like they were distracted or overly stressed out so basically Mm -hmm. They had very, most people had very strict routines for themselves, like not even just with regard to um, what working hours they kept, but also like exercise routines and eating routines. And uh, many people got up and like got dressed like they were going to an office. Um, And they found that this was different from people who are just working from home because it was almost like they were trying to create a structure or a feeling of normalcy for themselves that like, Hey, I am doing work even though I'm working for myself or I'm, you know, working in a more non-traditional context. I find that interesting that they compared it to employees that work from home because everything that you were saying, I was sitting there thinking, Oh, that's exactly what you should do when you work from home. Like mm-hmm. those are the same types of things as keeping a routine, um, keeping a schedule, keeping, you know, yourself active in other ways that you, you know, do leave the house. And a lot of people talk about getting dressed. I can't say that I succeed at getting dressed first thing in the morning before I start working. But I know that a lot of people that work from home do talk about doing that. Um, so I'm, I'm very interested in the fact that they made, they made that distinction. I guess what I'm seeing is the difference is you as an employee probably still have to hold certain hours if you're a remote worker for a different business than as a gig economy worker, a freelancer, you have to be the person that 
sets those hours. So you're not necessarily mm-hmm. beholden to, I should be logged in by 9 a.m. Um, for these meetings that other people have set for me. It's right. I am saying I want to start at 9 a.m. So there's like a distinction there. But I feel yeah. like the behaviors are like this, creating the structure is similar. Yeah. And, and they didn't do a formal comparison to working from home, but they are clear in the idea that they think that working in a gig job is different from working within a corporate structure, but just remote. Mm-hmm. Um, so they didn't do like a direct comparison, but it's clear in the way that they set up their study that they're seeing these two populations as being different. Yeah. And I think they are. I think they definitely are. There's a lot more um, stability if you're working for a, a bigger company and you have a salary or, you know, an hourly wage, whatever that looks like, like that obviously is very, very different. I just think that some of those making that connection to routine um, is probably pretty similar across the two populations. Yeah. When you're working from home, it can be very easy to not be in a routine and just kind of work all the time or, you know, do something crazy and like veg out all day. So right. um, I think that there is a need to create your own structure when you work from home too. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that the research shows that as well. Um, So yeah, I think that uh, in some instances, maybe the blow of having less of a structure might be greater. So like some of the um, quotes that they took from people that uh, had their routine disrupted. Um, So this person used to take a bike ride every morning before starting their work and felt like that was the thing that like got them focused on their work or their ability to focus. And then they got injured. And now they're saying that they can't, they struggle with their work. They struggle with structuring their time. They aren't like getting out of the house right away and they've had these really weird cycles and they feel less productive and now they're really stressed and overwhelmed by their work even though Mm. their amount of work didn't change it's just like they feel like their routine was disrupted and the routine seems really important for feeling productive when there's no one like setting that routine or schedule for you Um, that makes a lot of sense there's like a a component that is different in terms of the way that you perceive that routine and the importance of that routine when you are um, freelance versus when you are um, a employee of a larger organization. Yeah. Like in other words, I'm not really working or I don't feel like I'm really working unless I mm-hmm. make it feel like I'm following some kind of structure. Um, Interesting. So that was one. Another was connections to physical places. So they found that people described their specific workspace as defining their working self in some way. So Uh, They would often set up their workspace with like items or decorations or things that sort of like expressed the type of work they were doing or the identity that they had um, to try to connect themselves to the space as a working space or to reinforce their identity as a worker, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, it helped them to uh, sort of define their work and invest in their work. And some people did that outside of their house. Like one person was talking about how they uh, set up their workspace or they made their workspace in a public library and they would go there almost like an office. Um, hmm. Other people were talking about that they had separate spaces in their house, sort of similar to working from home uh, that we've talked about, like separate creating a separate space in the house. Um, but uh I think interestingly, people kind of talked about that 
they needed things that caused them to feel creative or feel innovative or allowed them to connect with their work identity in some way uh, that was in that space. Um, so again, just like this identity reinforcement seems more necessary, uh, within gig work. That's interesting. So I'm like trying to think of the types of things like, um, like in my office space, I have like an award that I won, like those kinds of things that are just like, this is an award for the thing that I do that I identify with in terms of my career. Um, I envision it's those types of things, like little reminders of their career, who they are and what their job is right yeah so this person's quote is like my office in my home creates an atmosphere when I walk through the door and cross cross the threshold of my office I step into a space that embraces all the different aspects of me I feel at home in there everything uh that I feel inside of me you can see externally and it helps to keep all the parts of myself in front of me so they almost feel like they need to connect more to themselves in their personal workspaces than maybe the average worker might. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, if I'm working at Google, I might have like Google stuff on my desk, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. I'm given, like some swag or whatever. I've got all this Google stuff. And so like I'm identifying now with Google, which is my employer. But mm-hmm. when I'm working for myself, I need to identify with myself because I am the employer. I am who I am is what I'm selling in a lot of ways, right? Like I'm selling whatever product, whatever service, whatever, whatever I'm doing. Um, So it makes sense that, you know, being in touch with that kind of reminds you of what, you know, why you're doing this versus like I'm sitting in my Google office. I'm being reminded that I'm doing this because of Google versus because of me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of, I think the, the main kind of difference that they're trying to highlight is that, you need to kind of take more steps to create an identity for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I um, mean, I kind of even think about it with worker being, you know, we created worker being and then whatever I do, like worker being stuff, like I always like, you know, I use my worker being notebook or I have like the worker being pop socket on my phone, like little right. things that like remind me of worker being. And I obviously was not consciously doing that at all, but I feel like there's times when I'm working on stuff for us that... I do subconsciously put worker being stuff around me. So I guess yeah. I am like the study. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, I think. Um, yeah, so then the third one is connections with people. And mm-hmm. uh, almost all the participants describe people that they needed to feel connected to. And it wasn't like peer groups or like professional associations it was like select people that they felt uh, either kept them productive or creative or encouraged them. So they needed some like external validation from people, I think, in a way mm-hmm. that maybe folks in other kinds of organizational structures don't always need. Um, so they talk about like, you know, meeting this. The one person's talking about meeting a really smart person. Uh, frequently for coffee and it really helps when that person says you know I think that this is a great idea what you're doing or uh, I think your business like sounds like it's going awesome like they really like that reinforcement from another person uh, to kind of keep them on the track that they need to be on Um, and so some people were you know folks that they just kind of found and felt were similarly minded 
Um, others were more like friends or family members that they felt could help them to like work through problems. And some like actually hired like coaches or counselors that they felt were useful for them to kind of work through problems that they were having. But broadly, um, people felt like they needed to have these connections to sort of reassure them um, and to remind them of how productive they were being or how well they were doing because otherwise nobody else was going to do that. I think that makes so much sense. It reminds me of um, the entrepreneur articles I wrote, like the ones about how entrepreneurs need to focus on their wellness. Uh, We can link to them in the bio or in the bio, (laughs) the show notes. Um, But in the research that I talked about there they talked about the same thing about people and it's like creating a support system because like at work your boss is going to tell you if you're performing well if you're on the right track or your customers or your stakeholders or even your team members right they're going to be giving you some sort of feedback and it feels like you need some sort of feedback so that you're not like just spiraling in your own little world or just circling around the same thing like you want to make sure that what you're doing isn't completely out there and doesn't make any sense. So having that person, like I think one of the things that I saw in that article is they talked about for wellness, like obviously the support system is critical to get that feedback, but they also talked about like the concept of co-founders, which obviously doesn't work with your freelancer, but mm-hmm. like you and I have talked about this before. It's like, you know, I know that I have you if I want to talk something worker being and right. understand if, you know, things are going well or make sure that things make sense. And like, I really trust and value your opinion. So if you feel like we're on the right track and I'm feeling like we're on the right track, then clearly we're fine. Um, right. But obviously not everyone in a freelance capacity is going to have a co-founder or somebody like that. So making sure that you have a, a system of people to bounce ideas off of or to you know just encourage you like you know just talk like I have one of my really good friends Stephanie she's like so sweet and so supportive and she every time I meet up with her she's always like a cheerleader you know like oh my god everything you do is so great and like (laughs) I know that you need someone to give you negative feedback here and there too but like it does feel really encouraging when you've got people that are really supportive and showing you that what you're doing is cool so that you feel motivated to continue doing it. Yeah, totally. And I think that's definitely what they're talking about here. It seems like no matter what the uh, relationship was, whether it was like friend, family member or coach, et cetera, like they all sort of circled around this idea of reinforcing the way that people felt about themselves and making sure that, well, I hope you know how awesome you are and things like that. Because I think it can, I mean, they mentioned in the agony and ecstasy part that part of what they're trying to get away from is this loneliness, right? That people feel Mm -hmm. alone. And, you know, you can ask your friends about work or you can ask their opinions, but to some extent you don't want to like bug people. Right. And um, I see that with my brother trying to start a company too you know, it can be tough sometimes because you can talk to your family. I mean, my brother talks to us all the time about business related stuff. And, you know, it's like you can have, you can, you know, go out with your friends and talk to them about your work, but you're not going to sit there for an hour and tell them about everything that's going on and try to get their advice unless they're a person that has good expertise in that area, you feel really comfortable with, et cetera. So it can be difficult to figure out like who are the people that I can go to. Um, Mm -hmm. And once you find those people, you're probably more likely to stick with it because uh, those relationships are really meaningful. Yeah. It reminds me of the the advice that I feel like I always see for entrepreneurs is to create a board of advisors. So like finding people that 
maybe have different expertise than you, but it doesn't even have to be that, right? Just people that they're a part of their purpose is just to talk to you about your work. And so it seems like a very similar concept. Like that's something that people talk about all the time, like kind of in the, you know, the business world more outside of research, but it seems like this is coming up here is that people need that, that board of advisors, that friend that you can consistently sit down for an hour and talk to about work or, you know, maybe you do pay a coach or maybe you have an aunt that's like really, successful in a similar space and she's kind of your mentor so trying to find those people that can can guide you but also really just support you and be your cheerleader yeah absolutely yeah so um that's one and then the last one we've talked about a lot uh is connection to a broader purpose which is important for everybody in all jobs but uh, they see it as being specifically important for people working independently uh, because it can be difficult sometimes to um, draw on or find that purpose if you're really having to create it for yourself. So um, like this painter that they interviewed was talking about how it's really important to do work that they feel proud of. And uh, that means that, you know, sometimes they might have to turn down projects that don't feel particularly meaningful to them. But if they just take on every project and become like sort of this identity that they're not because they are their work, like entirely, they feel this strong connection with making sure that everything that they do is reflective of who they are in a, in a different kind of way. Like I can't sell this or I can't create this or I can't deal with this kind of person in this kind of way because the only there's no scapegoat for it there's nobody I can like blame except for Mm -hmm. to say okay it's just me so um they seem to see like the way that they do their work and the impact of that work as being more related to their personal identity and for that reason like the broader purpose that they were connected to seemed really really important uh to the people working in these kinds of jobs again that makes a lot of sense because it's just you right it's just you so why are you there and what what is causing you to be in the space that you're in. Um, I think having those answers is really helpful when you're talking to potential customers, but also I bet family and friends, right? Like people like, yeah, we talk about your support system, but you also have those detractors those people that are like, well, does it make sense for you to have your own business? Does it make sense for you to do it this way? Right. Um, so if you know why you're doing it, if you have a purpose behind what you're doing, then it makes it a lot easier to stand by that purpose and then continue moving in that direction that you really want. And I mean, businesses have mission statements. Um, Then the goal, not a business succeeds at this, but the goal is to move towards that mission, right? And so it's almost like a personal mission statement, right? I'm a freelancer, I do X, um, and but my this is the reason why this is the mission for myself and this right. is why I'm going where I'm going. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So those are the four um, that people, uh, you know, need to focus on, it seems, if they want mm-hmm. to be able to uh, deal with the ambiguity of a gig job and capitalize on the ability to really uh, express yourself and make an impact that you find meaningful. Have more ecstasy and less agony. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh, gosh. Yep. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> um, so it's the four. I'm going to repeat them to myself because I'm just trying to make sure I remember them. 
we're talking about routine. We're talking about place. We're talking about people. And we're talking about purpose. Right? Yes. Correct. You got it. Cool. I mean, they all make a lot of sense. And that's a really interesting study, though. I'm sure it got a lot of uh, popularity because of this whole like gig economy topic. Yeah. That's super trendy right now. Yeah, um, it did. So and cool. there's not a lot on this topic. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully people will continue to build on it um, in larger samples and maybe with, you know, different kinds of methodologies. But uh, for now, I thought it was an interesting study that sort of highlighted what might be unique and important to people who are trying to, you know, find themselves through the work that they're doing. Yeah, I'd be interested. And I don't know, I could be just ignorant of this. And maybe, you know, um, I would be interested to see the overlap between entrepreneurship literature and like research compared to like something like the gig economy research, because I feel like there's, there's something there. I mean, an entrepreneur is creating some sort of business. So in theory, it's going to be eventually the goal is to make it bigger than themselves. And a Mm -hmm. person that's a member of the gig economy is themselves. Like that's the whole business. So there is a distinction for sure, but I'm curious about how they overlap just because even some of the things that we talked about here, like the research that I had read about entrepreneurship had some overlap with what we talked about. So I yeah. bet that there's something there that maybe it could be built on and it'd be curious. I'd be just really curious personally to see research comparing the two and how they might differ. Yeah. I mean, I think as long as probably you're a, a company of one, Um, As an entrepreneur, so some people just start off with themselves as an employee, um, probably these things are equivalent. Um, I think that as you grow, you probably have more of that build-in connection or reinforcement of purpose or things like that, people, and um, maybe you need to like move to a physical workspace, uh, et cetera. So you might have more of those like corporate feel type things, but I would assume that because you're self-initiating them, that it would sort of span more traditional theories and this kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It's, I mean, it's interesting. It's, gr- it's a growing economy and I think that there's a lot that we still don't know, but it sounds like there's some really good specific things that any of our listeners that are in the gig economy or, you know, are freelancers, um, business of one can really learn from and take advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, that's the goal. well thank you for sharing this topic I thought it was really cool yeah if anyone has any other questions or thoughts or if you're currently working in a gig job and you have other things that work for you let us know we'd love to hear from you Um, and if you're thinking about taking on a gig job uh, maybe some of these tips might help you to start off on the right foot yeah definitely I think they really can I'm you know all those things creating that routine making sure you have those advisors and those people there to support you. I mean, those are all so important. Um, but we'd love to hear your stories. If you want to share them with us, we'd love to hear about your gig jobs or, you know, where you're moving. If you're moving into that type of job or where you've struggled, maybe you've left the gig economy because you've really struggled with it. We want to hear all of your stories. So reach out to us at workerbeing at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com and on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at workerbeing. Thanks for listening. Bye. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.